Welcome to Me and the Geek. I'm me, Joel Sharpton. You can find me online at joelsharpton.com or on Twitter at The Rogues Life. And, of course, you can find me here every week for a different conversation with a great geek on Me and the Geek. I think that anyone with a passion for their art, their hobby, their industry, I think that person is geeky about that passion. And that means that they're a a good potential guest here on the show. If you've got someone uh, who you'd like to hear me talk to, or if you yourself would like to talk to me about your passion, then give me a holler, me and the geek at teamprocreate.com. We had another live event last week, last Thursday night, so much fun in Stone Theater on the campus of Louisiana Tech University, and that is going to be the subject of this week's show. I had an interview. This is not just bread. This is a delicious M&S sliced loaf. Just one of our range that has been sliced from pound fifteen to 65p. Enriched with vitamin D and fibre, it's great for packed lunches. This is not just value, this is M&S value. Subject to availability, excludes franchise stores. ...with uh, Louisiana Tech professor uh, Paul Crook. Now, Paul is a guy that I met 10 years ago... Uh, in the summer, as a matter of fact, it's almost 10 years ago to the day uh, here as we're talking uh, at the end of July. Um, he and I acted alongside each other in a play called Atomic Field. And the playwright of that show, Ken Robbins, Dr. Ken Robbins, is going to be the subject of the next live event. If you're in North Louisiana, come and join us, please. Uh, July 30th, Thursday night, 7.30. We'll get started in Stone Theater. It's absolutely free to attend, and we'd love to have you there uh, for our next summer series at Stone on the campus of Louisiana Tech University. Uh, All right, this week's subject, Paul Crook. I met him, as I said, 10 years ago. Uh, He played my father at the time. I portrayed uh, a uh, son struggling with the secrets of his father's past as uh, his dad had been in World War II. It was an interesting role for us to step into. He's been a professor at Louisiana Tech since that time. His wife is a professor at Grambling State University, uh, not too far away, and I know both of them very well, gotten to know their kids over the past few years as well. And he he and I have worked alongside each other a couple more times since then uh, in Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, As one example, I was Laser Wolf to his Tevya. He's a great guy. And we had a great time uh, talking the other night in Stone Theater. I hope you have a great time listening to the interview. Right now, it's Paul Crook from Louisiana Tech University on Me and the Geek. Ladies and gentlemen, the guy that gave me the original idea and the impetus for the Performing Arts Summer Series Joel Sharpton with me and the Geek, and Mr. Paul Crook. Thank you. Uh, thank you, and thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for, for doing this, Paul. Uh, Mark was on the hot seat last week. For those of you who have, who have not been here before, um, who don't know who I am or what I do, I, I, well, I do a bunch of stuff, but I host podcasts, two of them in particular. Uh, one where we review other podcasts, which if you don't know what a podcast is, that seems awfully silly, I imagine. Uh, and the other one, where I talk to a different geek every week. This is the geek this week. Um, I'm wearing my target socks. Excellent. I I define geekdom by being anyone who is passionate about a hobby, an industry, or an art form. And I think that's everybody. Everybody's passionate about something. If you're not, it's a very sad life. Um, And so I, I like to talk to people about that passion, how they got into it, what it's like for people that are on the outside, and uh, so tonight, we're going to be talking to Paul about some of the things 
that he's passionate about. We're going to start, though, Paul, with a very tough question. Oh, good. You have the following choice. You can either give up theater entirely, and that's participation, active participation. You can't act, you can't direct, you can't, etc. You also, though, can't attend theater. Or the University of Alabama has to give up athletics altogether. <laughs> which, which would you choose? Well, see, that's a little bit of a Kobayashi Maru because some might say that athletics are a form of theater, in which case you could do neither or both. There you go. Uh, you're going you're gonna to cheat. I would them. reset the game. What I would do. <laughs> so, um, something I asked just about everybody who's on my show: what what kind of geek were you growing up? Were you into Legos? Were you into Star Wars when you were? What was your? I was into movie? books. It was books, books and music. Give me a, give me a couple of the top ones that were. This is the book that I've read a dozen times. The Hobbit was the Hobbit was the one like, and that's a horribly unoriginal one, but it's but it's true. I mean, I I remember I. have Older siblings who are 11, 12, and 13 years older than I am. I was the baby. And I remember my older sister, uh, and I was probably 10 years old or so, and she thumped this giant tome down on the, on the table and said, You need to read this. And it was The Hobbit. I was like, Okay. And I struggled through it, struggled through it, but I loved it. And, and I probably wound up reading it 12 or 13 or 14 times. And uh, it's pretty, pretty wonderful. That one, Watership Down, is another one that really stuck with me, uh, which is a marvelous book. Uh, and, and then, gosh, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> those, are, those are two good ones to start, though. Uh, let's get directly to theater. Did you have any theater in your household, or was it something that you came to on your own? Well, no. Yes and no. No one else participates in theater in my house, uh, but my parents did love theater. They would go. Uh, my dad traveled for uh, for his job. So they would go to he would go to New York. They would go and see shows. You know, time my mom would go. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis part of the time, and uh, the Muni Opera is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful venue. Uh, great regional theater in this country in St. Louis, and and I I remember vividly what got me into theater. Is, and it was probably 1975 or 76. Uh, I went and saw, my parents took me to Muni, and we saw Yul Brynner in one of the thousands of tours he did of King and I. And, and I fell in love with it. And I looked at it, and I, and I was enthralled, and, and, and said, that's, that's it. I love that. That's magnificent. Uh, years, years later, we were in New York uh, when I was in high school, and I got to see... Uh, at that point, King and I was back on Broadway with Yul Brynner in it, and I got to see one of his final 20 performances before he died, uh, and which was wonderful and sad at the same time. By that time, he was so kind of eaten up with cancer that you know, he cut like all half of his songs and you know, do any of the reprises, and, and he was really, really struggling. Uh, but it was still kind of glorious to see uh, this luminary of aging uh, lion, yeah, to, to, to go out. Uh, and that's what got it for me. I mean, easily. I remember sitting there and watching it in 1976. So where and when was your first play? <clears throat> uh, well, 
mean, outside of school shows, the first acting gig that I ever had, I was, and, and here, people who are really, my, <laughs> uh, any of my students who hear this might get a kick out of this. I was 10 years old, and a friend of mine at school who did a lot of commercials. He was a guy, he was a little kid, little child actor, and he had done a lot of commercials, TV shows, and whatnot, and he was going to audition for this for this movie. It was going to be shot in St. Louis. And his mom talked about it and said, well, Paul likes this kind of stuff, you should take him. So I went and auditioned, and I wound up, it's the first thing I'd ever done, and I auditioned for this movie, and I got a role. I got cast in it. I got one of the principal child roles. And, uh, and the, my friend did not. They weren't happy. We were no longer friends after that. Well, there's, there's a quick initiation into the world of acting right there uh, at the age of 10. But the movie, well, this was right after, if, for the people who remember the movie Meatballs with Bill Murray, uh, this was a ripoff of that. <laughs> it was a ripoff of Meatballs. I remember there were a lot. And, like there were a lot, lot yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was called Stucky's Last Stand. And it was about a kid's summer, summer camp. Uh, the, the actor, it was an actor who had been in the movie Silver Street with Gene Wilder and, and Richard Pryor, who was the lead, uh, and he was like, I can't even remember the print, he was like a con on the run, hiding as a counselor at the summer camp or something. And so I played one of the principal little child roles, who was this kid who was allergic to everything and really meek and, and, and horrible and afraid of his own shadow, and, and he gets lost. With the, and, and I'm paired up with the like this one counselor who's six foot six. He's Andre the Giant size. He's six six. He's three hundred fifty pounds. He's a misfit. I'm a misfit. And we get lost and separated from the group. And, and it was and it was an absolutely horrible, horrible movie. Uh, it was a joy to film. It was a joy to do, and it was great. But uh, anybody from the Midwest knows that Siskel and Ebert got their start as local guys out of Chicago. And their uh, movie show, their critique show, uh, Siskel and Ebert at the movies or whatever, that eventually became national and turned both of them into famous names. But it started in Chicago. It would be broadcast on local access television throughout the Midwest. And so this movie was <laughs> shot independently in St. Louis and got a distribution, I don't know, gosh, who knows, just around Midwest theaters. But it was enough that it got reviewed by Siskel and Ebert, who... They did every week, it was a weekly show, they would pick their dog of the week. That was the worst movie they ever did that week. It was the dog of the week. Not only that, I, I'm pretty sure it wound up being the dog of the year. Oh, wow. <laughs> they brought it back. It was, so they did. It was so bad. But it was a lot of fun to do. And, you know, we got to go to the premiere. At the, you know, we premiered in St. Louis. Big thing at the movie premiere. So that was the first thing that got me into it. Did you, was there a time period where you thought, Okay, well that that's behind me now. I'm done with theater. That's ten years old. You're still in it now. No, I no. There never was. I mean, it was always something that I loved, and uh, I continued. You know, I didn't necessarily do a lot of it beyond school stuff. And then I got into high school and you know, did that, and then got into college, and you know, just kind of continued and continued. Just you kept kept the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, I'm going to change the topic for just a second. I, we talked earlier about your love for sports. Yes. And for Indeed. people in the theater, that's sort of rare. It's, it's at least your level of fanaticism. My, yeah, and, and some of the jobs I've had, yes. Yeah. 
but also like you're a fairly liberal guy, you're a pretty progressive guy, and you lived and worked your entire uh, professional career anyway in the South. Yes. Which, in which capacity do you feel more of an outsider? A sports fan, a serious sports fan in the theatrical world, or a fairly liberal guy in the South? In, in the South. Uh, probably, probably more of an outsider as a liberal in the South. Uh, because it's, although it seems an odd pairing, there really are, there are a lot of, of people who work in theater who love sports. Uh, and who are, you know, there's uh, uh, theater football fans, Facebook page. I think mean, you know, yeah. I don't know if you remember yeah. that, but some of our friends, Scott Mann and, and Jason Arvin and some others kind of formed it. Uh, so I think there, there are a lot of us. We're, we may be kind of covert and under the radar, but there are a pretty good number of us who like sports and who are kind of fanatical, fanatical about sports who work in theater. But as anybody knows, liberals in the South are are we got to real far few and far between, and, and I am, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm what they what they used to term a yellow dog Democrat in that regard. So, uh, absolutely. I, I talked to Mark a little bit about this last not last week but two weeks ago when we had our last session, and he and I have talked about it a lot uh, off the stage. It's very difficult for him these days to stay put in the summer. This is the reason why we're doing a show here. He doesn't have a choice. For 20-some-odd ah. years, 30 years, he's, he's been a traveling man. As soon as the, yep. the school year is over, his bags are packed, and he's slinging swords and, and, and chasing a show somewhere all across the country. You have had that same summer pattern for quite a while. Now, you yep. did some traveling this summer. You did work this summer. But for the first summer in a long time, as far as I've known you, you stayed put, you took care of the kids, and Mary Fran, your lovely and talented wife, went and worked professionally. Right. She, yeah, my wife is also in theater. She's the stage management, theater management uh, professor at Grambling. And, you know, for a while, we would kind of split up. Now, back to, we have, and we have four kids now, so uh, we have to do things a little differently. Back when we only had one, uh, we would often kind of both go off and work in the summers. Uh, one year she was in Highlands. Carolina and I was at a theater in South Alabama and but our oldest at that time was only about four years old or five and so we just kind of carted around between us. But as we've gotten older and, and got and our family's grown and we have four kids now and hey there's one in the front row, there's CG. But it's been more it's been more I've been the one going off, although at times we've gone off and worked together. Uh, like I've gone to the Oklahoma Shakespearean Festival for several years. And I was the associate artistic director up there for a while. Uh, Mary Graham would come up and choreograph something there. Uh, we've done a couple of shows together up in the South Arkansas Art Center uh, in Laredo. But yeah, this summer it was it was just an opportunity that came her way to go and uh, to go off and, and stage manage. And she hadn't had that opportunity in a while, and I was happy for her to have it. Uh, and it was. How was it playing Mr. Mom? You know, it was good. It, and it's it's funny, and this I guess maybe this is where the liberal side comes in, because so many people, and it's all in good fun, and they would joke about it, sure. and go, oh, you're leaving your kid with your dad, and oh, how can you do that? And it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's the easy joke of, of the diaper's going to go on backwards, and kid, <laughs> kids are only going to eat Skittles all summer. You know, and, and yeah, I get it, and that's an easy joke, but it's also a little bit offensive. It's like, 
you know, I'm pretty confident. I've got four kids, and I've had a pretty active hand in raising all of them, and uh, I kind of know what I'm doing. Uh, so, so there's so there's that side of it as well. But it is, and it what it does is it gives you a huge respect for single parents, the single parents who are out there, hundreds and thousands of them. Who, you know, whether it's single fathers, single mothers, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I just did it for seven weeks, yeah. and the people that do it for twelve months out of a year. Years. Yeah, I mean, my hat is just off. I, I don't, it's amazing. I'm very fortunate, you know, Mary Graham and I have been married almost 18 years now, and, uh, and it's great, and we're, we're a great team. We work together really well, uh, and, and I'm just amazed at single parents. I don't know how to do it. Let's, let's go from right there. You guys work together really well. I am not married to a theater person. Right. And I'm very glad of that. Uh, I, I, know, I know lots of theatrical people who have, who have married peers and colleagues. I know lots of successful marriages uh, run that way. But it, it just strikes me as, as difficult as it is for two people to live together and to plan their lives and to, to align themselves in that way. It seems that much more to do so with two creatives, with two people that have a bit of an artistic man, with two college educators, for yeah. God's sake, Paul. Well, What's it like at your house? You have to know. Well, there's, there's, that's kind of it's a, <laughs> better ask her. Uh, it's, there's, it's a, that's, there's a two prong answer to that. On the one side, just existing with both of our schedules and everything, uh, it just it takes communication and working around with, with each other. Uh, you know, my primary function here is I'm the directing and acting professor. So part of my job primarily is directing. Now Mary Fran directs also at Grandly. That's not a primary function of her, of her job. So when she, on years that she does direct, we set our season and we figure out what I'm going to be directing. And then she goes and goes, all right, this is when I have Mary Lynn that I can direct. And her faculty and, and department chair up there is great working with her. Uh, and so it works out that way. It's just communication and scheduling. And it helps. Scheduling is really easy when you're married to stage manager. That makes things great. But now the other side of actually working together creatively, you have to know how you can work together. We learned very early on. In fact, this is why we're, we were still dating. Before we ever got married, we learned that we cannot work with me directing and her stage manager. Doesn't work that way. Because in those roles, there are too often times that the director has to kind of tell the stage manager what to do. And that doesn't work in my house. Some of you know what I mean. Uh, in my house, she tells me what to do, and I say, yes, ma'am. On and, and so we can't work together. Stage that's right. So that's right. So we can't work together as director and stage manager. What we can do, we can't, and we have. So we did that once and went, okay, that's not going to work, and we'll never do that again. <laughs> we can work when she's stage managing and I'm acting. We can work when she's directing and I'm acting. Notice both times she's telling me what to do. And, and we can work. And the other way that we can work is when she's producing and I'm directing. 
And then we can work together when I'm directing and she's choreographing. And in those, I just let her do whatever she wants. It's like, you can do your thing. And I'm going to walk in and go, I love it. And that's, yeah, I'm in charge of these three quarters of the stage. <laughs> right. You've got to do that. It's going to be great. Uh, it, it's, but no, we do, we do collaborate really, really well. And, and, uh, and she's great to work with as a choreographer. Is that her undergrad degree is in dance. She had a master's degree in her MFA. She's a stage manager. Uh, so we work really well together in those ways. Well, and you guys have turned that into um, a project. Let's talk a little bit about the B&B Theater. We have. It's been a little bit dormant here for a while just because we've been so busy doing other things. But a few years ago, much like this, it was, boy, we would love an opportunity to do something here, to exercise our creative chops here, and to do something, uh, no offense to the kids sitting here, but for adults. We wanted to do plays that would appeal to adults with adult themes and adult language and not have to worry about censoring ourselves and we wanted to make it really casual and fun. And so we, we did a few shows uh, and we've done a few, several shows actually uh, out uh, in the courtyard of the Norton Building uh, and worked out there in the, the Arts Council here at North Central Louisiana Arts Council has been great in assisting us and working with us uh, on it. Uh, and we've done several of them five shows out there. Uh, we did a Christmas cabaret a couple years ago that was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and we actually have something planned for this upcoming year uh, that we we're hoping to do as well that, uh, that we haven't done because it'll be the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death uh, oh, next wow. year, next spring. Uh, and as part of the celebration for that, we'll be doing a production of Love Slavers Lost here uh, at Louisiana Tech. And so what we're going to do, hopefully, I don't know if we'll get to do it on the date, which would be April 23rd, uh, but we're going to try and do, uh, and the, and Mary Frank came up with the name, and I love it, Shakespeare. Uh, and we're going to try and get Marcella Beverage or somebody else to sponsor us nice. out there and have some beer tasting and beer sampling going on. Uh, and we'll take a scene from the show out and, and work with some other artists around town to come out and, and maybe do some things just to celebrate Shakespeare <coughs> and, uh, and have some tasty beverages while we do it. I think, I think that's an awesome idea. You know, it, it's something that I've, I've talked to Mark about, I've talked to, to Jake Glenn about this. Any of, the, any of the artists that I've talked to have made some reference to the fact that you have to take, you have to take ownership of your opportunities to perform, to create, Absolutely. to Experience. You don't complain because there isn't a venue. Right. Make yourself a venue. Well, and it's you know I teach, and I talk about this in directing class with students all the time. That most of you, if you're going to direct, and if, I don't know if there are anybody anybody out there who's interested in directing at some point in your career. If you're going to direct, and that's going to be your career, ninety-five percent of you will start doing kind of guerrilla theater in the in a storefront in somebody's garage, yeah. backyard, whatever, and it's you get, and I'm going, I'm going to take you, 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 come on, we're going to come do American Buffalo, let's go. <laughs> right? And, we, and we're going to do it, right? And we pull, pull our money together, we buy the rights, and we find, oh, look, there's a bar. Hey, we go down and talk to them. Hey, you got a, hey, in your little bandstand, what if we do a play there a couple nights? What do you think, right? And you do it. And that's the way 
90% of the directors in the world start out. Uh, and you have to make your opportunities. Uh, you've acted, you've directed, artistic coordinator, artistic director, you've written plays. Uh, yeah, we won't talk about those. But, uh, is there, <laughs> I don't consider myself a playwright. Is there a, is there a favorite part of it all for you? Uh, Mark said he couldn't pick uh, amongst his babies. Um, oh, I do you direct, like the variety? No, directing's my favorite. That's you know that's if, the one you go. Uh, back hey, source computer one auto no sequel. All right, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> directing, you know, and that's changed. I, mean, I think as an artist, you evolve over the course of your career. Most artists I've talked to do and have. They've been in it long enough. <clears throat> Ten years ago, if you asked me what it was that I did, I would say, well, I'm an actor. That was the first thing I would say. And I also teach and I also direct. You know, and that would come out. Now, and over the course of the last 10 years, that's changed. And if you ask me now, the answer is I'm a director. Uh, and that's what I love the most. I, I, when Ken had a, a, one of his classes that he would have, uh, other faculty members come in, and I always look forward to it. I loved it because, you know, hey, I love talking about myself. Uh, I'm still that much of an actor that I love talking about myself. Uh, but we would, you would have other faculty members come in and just kind of talk about their philosophy of the theater and why it is that we do what we do. Uh, and, and I always love that opportunity. And for me, and this is why I love directing, is that I have stories that I want to tell. And that's the way I tell stories. I'm a storyteller, and I tell stories by directing, uh, uh, and, and I love it. And that's absolutely, and, and to me, and that's so. That's what I love. And acting, I do so rarely now. I still love it, and there's still a lot of roles I think that I want to play. Uh, but the thing that acting's hard. Acting's hard, and it's much harder than directing to me. It's much more difficult. It's much more. Physically and emotionally taxing. Uh, you know, uh, when I direct, I get to opening night and it's the big build up, and we've had all the tech rehearsals and the dress rehearsals. It's great. It's opening night. It's woo! All right, it's great, good, and I'm done. Yeah. Right? And when it's, especially if I'm directing professionally, my contract ends opening night, right? And I'm gone. And, and even here, I, I take the same approach to medical years. I, I mean, I don't, after opening night, I never see a show. I watch it open that because uh, I'm done with it. I'm already thinking about the next thing. But you know, when you're acting, you can't do that. Yeah, acting, you get, the, oh, it's, you get the opening night. It's like, well, what do you mean? I got to come back tomorrow night? I got to do this again? Oh my God, that's horrible! Why do I have to do this again? Oh, why would you put somebody through that? Uh, is there is there something that you haven't gotten to do creatively that you'd like to? Oh gosh, yeah. Well, I mean, like specifically, like. Uh, so last last time I asked Mark, would he ever like to direct a film? Would he like to, does he have a film project in his head? There's something like that, a medium perhaps that you haven't tried or that you haven't you know tried in the level you'd like to. The level. I mean, I've had the opportunity to, to direct for for video film a little bit. Uh, not much. And don't get me wrong, I would take the opportunity in a heartbeat if it were granted. And if it were there, but it's not my primary interest. Stage is what I love. Stage, stage is what I, what I love, and it's where my heart is, and it's what I want to do. So, 
So no, I, I'm fortunate that I get to do what I want, what I love. Uh, now there are a bunch of shows that I still that are still out there that I want to do, whether it's to direct or to act in or, or what have you. I, I guess yeah. What what show is next on that list? If if they if uh, the company comes to you and says, Paul, we want you. Uh, and we want you next season, and, and what show do, are we going to do? The show is? Well, if I want to direct, and I would say every director has at least one dream show in their head that, that's the unlimited budget show, it's the magic show, that somebody says, all right, you have all the money that you could possibly want to have, and you can do it anywhere you want. My dream show is Jesus Christ Superstar. I know exactly how I will do it whenever I get, somebody wants to give me $75 million to do a show, because I need, I need a wall. I need a 45 foot by 25 foot wall of individual video monitors that can also be synced to do uh, grafted images. That's uh, awesome. With it, yeah. And Mark Wynn just curled into the fetal position when he heard that. Uh, among other things, but there. Are, but I, I know I've got the show. I've got that production in my head. Uh, and I think every director has one of those. As an actor, there's a lot of Shakespeare. The great thing about Shakespeare is what I love. I mean, that's my, it's the area I've studied the most. If, if you were to say I had a very specialty, it would be that. Uh, the great thing about Shakespeare is I'm just now coming into the roles that I'm going to play for the next 20 years. I, you know, I looked like this when I was 16, so I've been playing, uh, I was in my late 30s before I ever played a character that was the actual age I was. Uh, and so I'm just now coming into my own, and so I, all the roles that I've always loved and wanted to play in Shakespeare, I've got in front of me, which is really awesome. Uh, you know, and I can look and I can go, I've got Prospero, and I've got Lear, and I've got Forrest, Five, and I've got uh, uh, I've got Claudius, and at some point, then I'll have Polonius, and you know I've got Titus. I've got all these great roles out there to do, and they're all in front of me with Shakespeare, and, and that's that's with Falstaff, you know, and that's uh, that's what's really exciting and, and really fun to me. Heaven I'm in, uh, is a repertory theater. <laughs> where you are always the lead actor, <laughs> but the schedule is only three shows long. What three shows do you do for the rest of eternity? Smoke on the Mountain, which I have a deep and abiding connection to that show, and that whole uh, series of shows, which I've done. I've, I've journeyed with the Sanders family seven different times, either an <laughs> wow. actor or a director. Uh, it's a show where I met my wife. Really special. Uh, so that's definitely one. Uh, and that could be either be directing or acting in it. I'd be happy. So that'd be one. Macbeth would be one, which I love. Uh, and I've, had, I've done that three, one, four times. Uh, I've directed it three times and acted in it once. That would be one. And then The third one would probably be uh, 
Spooky Joe's Cafe, but I'd be directing it, obviously, not, not acting. <laughs> not acting in that. Uh, is that I've, I've done that once. I love that show. Uh, Molly Page sent a question <laughs> and said, uh, what is your most influential non-theater book that you've ever read? And I'm assuming it's probably not The Hobbit. You, you mentioned that one. You love it, but that's not yeah. surprising, the most influential book. That's, oh, I, oh, man. That's tough, because most of them eventually were turned into plays. <laughs> I, I mean, I could say, like, To Kill a Mockingbird, right. but, of course, that's also a play and, yeah, and a movie, but that absolutely is hugely influential in my life. Uh, the Heart is the Only Hunter might be one. Uh, would be one. Canterbury Tales. That's a good one. First, uh, Tusser or Beowulf. I taught, you know, I taught uh, early British literature for years and years, and so I love both of those. One more question. And yeah. I'm going to move this evening on along. Uh, it's funny because you mentioned uh, your gigantic budget earlier. You and I were talking about uh, when our great benefactor comes to us and gives us all the monies. And uh, you just right. mentioned your $75 million uh, stage play of Jesus Christ Superstar. There's a facility that's just about to get finished on the other side of campus. Uh, this beautiful end zone project, $18 million uh, that's been spent on this. And I'm, this is not a political thing. I love the end zone project. I'm looking forward I to seeing it. But. Let's assume that a benefactor comes and says, you know, 18 million needs to be spent on this side of campus too. And the Dean and well. Dr. Geis and Mark come to you and they say, Paul, we'd like you to sketch out the first plan for spending all this money. I know that's your plan, right? When the money shows they're up. They're going to write to me. Yeah, they're going to let you. Obviously, all of our wonderful faculty get pay raises. Yep. Obviously, we hire a couple of new faculty members. Where, what infrastructure, where would you spend money you know, if you the, had the money to spend. I would, right now, and, and like so many colleges and universities, we we share our building with, with our friends uh, in, in music. And I think that both music and theater, we find ourselves cramped. We find ourselves <coughs> in the extra space. Uh, you know, we'll have, and you think, gosh, how can you compete for space with that big giant building? Well, we can't. I mean, music will, has so much going on. You know, just uh, to use it as an example, the end of last academic year. You know, music was having some fantastic recitals going on in the recital hall, and we were having our student-directed showcases going on in the acting studio, which is right below the recital hall. And it was the same night. And so we've got music coming down for our shows, and they've probably got noise from our actors coming up to them. And, and so it's that kind of thing. And I don't know there are people who are much smarter than I am who can figure this out. If it would be better for music to get a new facility and for us to take over this one, or for, for us to get a new facility and music to take over this one, either way works for me. I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy either way. Like twice as large a space. Yeah, exactly. That's, right. that's yeah. exactly. that's exactly right. And I think that would be my first dream of if we, if there were enough money to go, okay. We're going to split the, the school performing arts in, in terms of facility usage uh, so that we can all spread out and really accomplish and do the things that we want to do. Uh, and, and, I, and I know music does too. I, mean, I don't speak for them, but I'm, 
I've, I've talked with you enough with, with our friends over there and some of the factory members to know. Uh, you know they'd love to have that opportunity as well. A little bit of elbow room. Yeah. yeah. So that'd be, uh, to, to me, that's what. Stew Oklahoma. Yeah, there we go. I like it. Would you like it? That, that would be, I think, the big thing is if there were enough money to, to build a new facility for one of us. I like it. All right. Uh, and that's it. You and I are going to talk again at some point in the future, but I appreciate you for sticking with me this evening. Thanks to all of you. And that is another episode of Me and the Geek. Yay! Great talk with Paul Crook from Louisiana Tech University's uh, De- Department of Theater. Hey, if you are interested in joining us, please come and see us next Thursday night, July 30th, live in Stone Theater. The show starts at 730, and again, it is free to attend. Uh, if not, don't worry. We'll have that audio for you in the show before too long. Next week, I've got a really cool conversation, our first uh, two-guest show. We're going to have Alex Bozeman and Jake Gwynn, who's been a guest on the show before. They're going to be talking about the future of art and some of the interesting projects that they're working on the directions they're headed as young professional artists. So look forward to that next week here on Me and the Geek. Until then, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Me and the Geek. You can follow me on Twitter at The Rogues Life or find me online at joelsharpton.com. I have been Joel Sharpton, and uh, this week's geek was Paul Crook, live from Stone Theater on the campus of Louisiana Tech University. And this has been the podcast. One, two, three, four. Me and the Geek is a proud member of the ProCast Network, a ProCreate production. ProCreate is a community of artists in film, music, the digital arts, and fine arts that helps them connect and collaborate on projects. You can find out more at teamprocreate.com. Also, be sure to check out one of our other great shows like Pod on Pod, a weekly review of a different podcast to help you find your new favorite show. Josh and Joel are your hosts as they walk through the wide world of podcasting. From comedy to self-help, Josh and Joel listen to it all so you don't have to. These fingers crossed paprika burgers. Big day today. Jamie gets his exam results. I hope he's done okay. He's worked so hard. So I'm making my paprika burgers for when he gets home. They were lucky last time. I add red onion and paprika to the mince. Then I top with jalapenos. Well? Make your own burgers with our Tesco finest Aberdeen Angus beef. Food Love Stories, brought to you by Tesco. Gigs over. Pour out into the night. 200 people disappear into the darkness. Should have bought my coat. Ears ringing, T-shirt sticking to me. Not ready for bed. Text from mates. Time to regroup. Door slides open. Step into the light. Eyes blinking. No need to think. Big Mac and fries. Over 700 McDonald's open 24 hours. We are awake.